Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Time once again for another edition of Texas Ag Today. Well, we've been talking all week about the problems that rain is causing on the sorghum harvest in the Texas coastal bend in the Rio Grande Valley. But if you move a little further north up into central Texas, the sorghum crop there is looking pretty good as they get ready to roll combines. We'll have more on that story coming up on today's show. I'm Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Trans-Pecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. One reason why Texas High Plains farmers are reluctant to grow winter canola is this. It can be a difficult crop to harvest. I'm James Hunt and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Registration is now open for a nationally and internationally recognized beef cattle educational program. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag today. Typically, July is when our Texas gardens fade. We're going to be talking about whether we want to plant a fall garden and how we do that. Please join me, John Begno, as we talk about vegetable gardening in Texas. We'll have those stories, plus Texas wildlife news and a complete look at the markets all coming up. The grain sorghum crop in central Texas has rebounded following above-average rainfall over the past few months. Adam Owens is a field agronomist with Pioneer. We've got really good head size, good head exertion this year, and it's really rebounded and recovered very nicely. I really like what I've seen out there for sorghum yield potential this year. I think we're going to have an above-average crop for sure. While there were some sugarcane aphids in central Texas, so far the colonies are few and far between. Owen says a lot of that is likely due to the new hybrid varieties. There are some other pests, however. Stink bug pressure is what we've been seeing and some headworm. Just make sure you're scouting for both of those pests and the threshold for headworms is at least one worm per head. Pioneer field agronomist Adam Owens in Central Texas. USDA is forecasting an increase in cotton production this year when compared to last month's estimate. World Agricultural Outlook Board Chairman Mark Jekodowski says one reason for that is all the rain that we've had in West Texas. Typically, it would be too dry and the crop doesn't develop, so it's abandoned. But this year, there were some very favorable and beneficial rains in West Texas. So we're anticipating lower cotton area abandonment. So even though planted acreage is down this year, harvested acreage is expected to go up, increasing production by 800,000 bales. Canola is a difficult crop to harvest, and that may be one reason why Texas High Plains farmers are reluctant to grow it. James Hunt has the story from Amarillo. A big challenge with growing winter canola as a grain crop is this. 
Canola's pods are prone to shattering, which creates issues at harvest time. Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says, in some areas of the country, farmers try to limit their losses by harvesting in stages. In those regions, they lay canola down and windrow it and give it a little time just to further dry and then come back in and pick it up with like a draper header and then combine it. So it is a two-step process through the field. But Dr. Bell says that two-step process is one reason Texas High Plains farmers give for why they're not interested in growing canola. It would be hard for local producers to add a complicated canola harvest to springtime schedules that already include planting crops like corn and cotton and harvesting winter wheat. But Dr. Bell says Texas A&M AgriLife researchers have explored a streamlined approach. We actually started planting our canola on 30-inch rows, and that provides us the ability to go in with a combine with a gathering header, so a header that you might use for a grain sorghum crop. And as long as we have set the sieves on the combine and set the fans, appropriately so that we're not blowing out that very small seed, we are really able to do a very good job combining that crop. And perhaps that approach will help farmers if and when canola becomes a major crop in the Texas High Plains. As we've discussed previously, it's a crop with potential, but at the present time, issues like a shortage of marketing opportunities are keeping canola from getting very many acres here. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas A&M Beef Cattle Short Course is coming soon. Jessica Domel tells us to register now if you want to save some money. Time is running out to get early bird pricing for the Texas A&M Beef Cattle Short Course. This year's event will be held August 2nd through the 4th on the Texas A&M University campus in College Station. The theme is looking toward the future of ranching. Dr. Jason Clear, AgriLife Extension Beef Cattle Specialist and Conference Coordinator, says this year's speakers will give an update on the beef checkoff and a 2022 market outlook. They'll also discuss long-range weather planning, the changing landscape of Texas, political, social, and structural implications for Texas ranchers, managing the ranch horse, and more. We'll have over 20 concurrent sessions throughout the week. They range from basic beef cattle production. You know, if somebody's getting into the business or thinking about getting into it, there's two sessions that really address them and kind of bring them up to speed on here's the basics that gets you the foundation. And then we move on from there and then we get into the, the more detailed or experience sessions where we are looking at specifically how do you balance a nutrition program there in your cow-calf or stocker operation? How do you work with different forages and things like that? And, and one of the topics this year in the nutrition session and many of our sessions will be we're faced with higher cost across the board, input cost, and especially on feed cost. And you know, who knows where it'll be in the fall, but really optimizing nutrition to where we're not wasting money when we don't need to spend it or, or providing excess nutrition. So uh, one of the general things this year will be kind of centered around those types of things. In addition to nutrition, speakers will also discuss fertility and reproduction in the cow herd. 
We have genetic selection, opportunities for purebred producers. There's been a tremendous interest in local beef and selling beef directly off the farm or ranch. And we're going to have a session. Rachel Couture, her and her husband have a very successful uh, branded beef program here in the state. And so Rachel has been very influential in ag marketing type things. And now, and she's also very successful in her own branded beef program. So she's going to bring some of her experiences. There will be six live demonstrations and a trade show. Cost is $210 for in-person attendance and $160 for online attendance until July 27th. After July 27th, cost is $250 for in-person and $200 for online attendance. You can register and find a tentative schedule on beefcattleshortcourse.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. Spring gardens are starting to fade here in July, so San Angelo horticulturalist John Begno says it's about time to plan for a fall garden. Well, if you've been gardening, especially spring gardening with vegetables, you notice that we've had a pretty good year for some vegetables. We've had squash coming out the ears. We've had cucumbers, quite a few of those things. It's been a tough tomato year for a lot of people because of the inconsistent weathering. And okra, if you've planted it in late May or early June, have realized that some of the cooler than normal weather that we've had has slowed development of okra. But by and large, a lot of our plants are fading out. They do this typically in Texas in July. We have to make the decision of whether we're going to pull them out because they're no longer productive or whether we want to go ahead and nurse them along. And that's a sometimes a very evident thing that we do with tomatoes. If they're still green and they're healthy and we think we can keep them alive, we'll get an abundant fall tomato crop once temperatures cool. If not, they start looking raggedy, we pull them out. Typically, we plant our fall gardens in most of Texas beginning in September, and it is our most productive vegetable gardening season as a general rule because temperatures, instead of getting hotter and hotter in September, typically start getting cooler, especially night temperatures. And when this happens, we get more productive vegetables. We get better blooming, better set, and the vegetables seem to taste a little better because they don't get so bitter. If you've ever tasted a cucumber that comes off in 100-degree weather, you know what I'm talking about, they can become bitter. So we have better, more flavorful vegetables. So do a little research. You can see what your first average freeze date, for instance, in San Angelo, where I am, it's about the 20th of November. And you back it up X number of weeks for each different vegetable, and then you find your seed source, your transplants, and you plan to plant about that time so that you get some production long before first freeze. And again, that's on average. So if you've never followed vegetable gardens, you should try it. It is a lot of fun and less challenging as a general rule because of insects. I hope you have good luck in gardening in Texas this fall. This is John Begner reporting from San Angelo. There's a new resource for people looking for more information on controlling feral hogs. I'm Jessica Domel, and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And did you know that the Black Death, or the plague, can still be found right here in Texas? Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that subject coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. In Texas, there's pea-sized hail and baseball-sized hail. 
Guess which one hit our house? We didn't even know where to begin, but we called our Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent, and he was so reassuring. He knew exactly what to do to get our house back into shape and our lives back to normal. Now, we're even more thankful for the roof over our heads. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to insure your home for Texas-sized weather. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. The current COVID pandemic brought back memories of other pandemics in history, like the Black Death or the plague. But did you know the plague can still be found right here in Texas? Yeah, it's true. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd says it's still around and it can still infect both humans and animals. The plague and people that occurred in the Middle Ages can still be found in Texas as well as 16 other states today. Most states are in the Southwest and Pacific United States, as well as many areas in Africa. The disease is caused by the bacteria Yersinia pestis, which has been found on all continents except Australia and Antarctica. And the disease is maintained in nature in wild rodents and is mostly transmitted by fleas. Over 200 species of mammals are susceptible to infection with plague, and some are more susceptible than others. Cats and dogs usually become infected by eating infected small mammals or flea bites, and humans usually get infected from flea bites or exposure to infected fluids. Cats and humans can develop three different kinds of plague, including bubonic, septicemic, or pneumonic, and without treatment, the disease can be deadly. Dogs are less likely to get infected than cats, and cats can spread the disease to humans in respiratory droplets if the cat has the pneumonic form of the disease. Cats usually develop fever and swollen lymph nodes, as well as gastrointestinal signs and labored breathing. Infected dogs usually have mild disease, but the disease can be deadly. Plague is a reportable disease, so if plague is suspected, the health department should be notified. Infected animals should be isolated as they are a potential source of infection to people. The disease is susceptible to antibiotics, and usually most patients improve in 72 hours, as the reason most all infected people died in the Middle Ages was because no antibiotics were available. Flea control is critical for preventing plague in humans and animals. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The fight against feral hogs is never-ending, so there's always room for more information on ways to fight them. Jessica Domel has some new resources in today's Wildlife Report. There is a new virtual resource for Texas landowners who have been battling wild pigs, more commonly known as feral hogs. The Natural Resources Institute and Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service have released a two-part virtual webinar series in support of the Texas Feral Swine Eradication and Control Pilot Program. The webinars are called Wild Pig Impacts and Abatements. The webinars address wild pig biology, their impact, lethal and non-lethal control strategies, and current laws and regulations. You can find both parts of the webinar on the Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute YouTube channel. On YouTube, simply search Texas A&M Natural Resources Institute. Additional resources on feral swine control are available on the NRI website. There, they have additional information on control strategies, wild pig biology, their impacts, and safety precautions. You can find those at nri.tamu.edu backslash learning. That is nri.tamu.edu backslash learning. 
T-A-M-U dot E-D-U backslash learning. If you plan to work outdoors to get rid of those feral hogs, or if you plan on fishing, hiking, or enjoying the outdoors in another way, be sure to take steps to avoid heat-related illnesses. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department encourages people who are outdoors to hydrate, wear sunscreen, and light, loose-fitting, breathable clothing. Plan ahead, and if you can, use the buddy system so that when the temperatures get high, you can look out for one another. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. It was a fairly quiet, lackluster trade in the cattle market on Thursday, but we did close lower on cotton and higher in wheat. We'll take a look back at all of Thursday's market action coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. There was not a lot of action in the cattle complex on Thursday. We ended up closing slightly lower on live cattle mixed on the feeder cattle market. August live cattle down 12, 121.12. The October down 25 at 126.52. December live cattle down 12 at 131.80. August feeder cattle up 42 cents, 157.37. The September unchanged, 159.22. October feeders down 2 cents, 161.20. Cash fed cattle market fairly quiet on Thursday. So far this week, though, we've seen most of our Texas cattle sell as high as 120. In Kansas, they've been able to get 120 to 122. When you look up north, they've been able to get 125, with many of the better cattle priced as high as 127 this week. Boxed beef prices mixed on Thursday. Choice down 65, 272.23. Select up 38, 254.13. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. Neighbor, good day to you. I'm Larry Marble for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network and the program Walk in the Bins. Let's head to San Angelo, producers in Cargill. Talk to Benny Cox about the sheep sale. Benny, how did it go? We sold right at 8,000, and we've got 3,200 to sell today so far. These slaughter nannies, uh, they, they're they really hot too. 180 to 275, mostly 250 to 270 on those 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 killing nannies. Uh, the big billies from 210 to 320, but most of them under three bucks. It was higher on those billies, I guess, about three sales ago. The wolf feeder lambs we sold uh, yesterday kind of selling range from 260 up to 290. On the, the lighter end of the slaughter lambs, the hair sheep type from 260 to 314. Heavier weights from 240 to 3 bucks. Uh, on the slaughter ewes, 90 to 185. Mostly 135 to 150. A bunch of those guys were buying those going straight to kill. Uh, we've been selling those, and maybe even some of those baby tooth ewes wouldn't bring that much. And that, of course, that's by the pound. Right. You take you take a dollar fifty at, at uh, 150 pounds, you're talking about up in that $250 range on those ewes that, that, that were coal ewes. Mm-hmm. Uh, on these kid goats, acceleration 270 to 344 And I'll tell you, those that brought over $3 that were kids, a bunch of those were either uh, 
sure enough, Weathers or they were nanny kids. Those three forty fours. I I know that I remember that they were they were some nanny kids that brought that. But they brought mostly in that two eighty to three fifteen range with some of those larger buttons again up to as high as four oh five. And I guess that deal's probably over. That's kind of what happens whenever those those big buttons that we've been talking about for the last month or so they get to a point and then they'll fall back off. And I think this might be the last week we'll see those four dollar pluses on them. Benny Cox, producers in Cargill, San Angelo, tell everybody how to contact you. They can call me on my mobile at 325-234-4277. Office, same area code, 653-3371. Or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargyle.com. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble, and you've been listening to Walking the Pins from the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good day to you. Thanks, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished lower. The July contract down 25 at 112.12. August hogs down 80 cents, 104.30. Class 3 milk was lower. July milk down 3, 16.76. August milk down 75 at 16.98 hundredweight. We saw a lower close in the cotton market. The market seemed to pull back a bit after hitting new life of contract highs on Wednesday. Wednesday, we saw the October contract break above 90 cents. We're back below that now. The October down 73 points, 89.84. December cotton down 76 at 89.05. The corn market closing slightly lower. September contract down four cents, 564 and a quarter. December corn down two and a half, 556 and a quarter. We've seen a lot of strength in the wheat market this week. We had a very bullish USDA supply and demand report on Monday that helped to boost prices. Also, word that harvesters are continuing to have weather troubles as they move up through Kansas and into Nebraska. That's helping to support the market a bit. Both soft and hard wheat finishing higher. September Kansas City wheat up 12 and a half, 640 and a quarter. September Chicago wheat up 17 and three quarters, 672 a bushel. Rough rice higher with September rice up seven and a half, 1321 and a half. November soybeans down three and a quarter, 1380 a bushel. August soybean meal down six dollars, 362.70 a ton. In the energy markets, August natural gas down four, three sixty-one. August crude oil down a dollar fifty-two, seventy-one sixty-one a barrel. The financial markets mix the Dow up seventeen points, thirty-four thousand nine fifty-one. The Nasdaq down a hundred thirty-two points, fourteen thousand five twelve. The S and P down nineteen at four thousand three fifty-four. Well, that wraps up our markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. As always, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. My name's Kerry Martin. See you then right here on Texas Ag Today. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.